case you uh, miss that in your uh, bulletin, you get to see crazy woman, crazy creek, what's her name? Crazy Woman, Crazy Woman Creek Van in Seoul next Sunday for the Right to Life fundraiser. Great, great opportunity. So grab your Bibles, open up uh, to uh, Colossians chapter 4. We continue our study on what it means to be on mission, how we can do that practically. Follow along as I read verses 5 and 6. It says this, Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Father God, again, we just thank you for each opportunity we have to come together uh, to worship you, to learn from you, to grow in our relationship with you. And so, God, we just uh, are grateful for that and pray that your spirit would be free to work in our hearts and lives this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So if, if you weren't able to be with us last Sunday, I would encourage you to, to go to the website and listen to the message because what I say today is, is uh, a lot of that's going to build on uh, the points we made last week. But uh, just in case uh, you don't have a photographic memory uh, or you weren't here last Sunday, let me give a, a quick recap. We s last Sunday, we began looking at uh, practical steps that every single one of us can take right now to be on mission here in Hot Springs. And the, and the two steps we started with last week uh, were, were our ability to pray and to watch. And, and the, the prayer focused in two directions. First, we want to pray for ourselves that God would work in our own hearts, our own lives, to cause us to be actively involved in his kingdom work and the harvest that he wants to bring here. And then second, uh, we want to be praying for God's work in the hearts of people who do not yet know him. Because as we noted, it is only God who can draw people to himself. It is only God who can convict of sin and righteousness and judgment. And it is only God who can save. And so we pray for God to do those things. And uh, we looked at uh, what pastor and, and author Neil Brower uh, developed as what he called his five-second prayer. Uh, which is, Father, please send your Holy Spirit to work in the hearts of these people, or you can, if you know the people, inject their name right there, interject their name right there, draw them to Jesus and make them kingdom laborers. And so this is a prayer that is asking God to do his work in a person's heart. You can keep that prayer in mind, and as you see people, uh, pray for, the, for them all day long as you're going about this, uh, your daily activities in Hot Springs. But our, our challenge was, last week, to get three, four, however many people you want, uh, specifically uh, that are connected with you, that, that you're just going to continually pray that prayer for them. Every time you see them, every time you think about them, every time you're regularly praying anyway, you're just going to add that prayer in for God to, to reach that person's heart and begin drawing them to himself. And, and then the second step after that is to pray. You, uh, after pray is to watch. Uh, you watch for what God might be doing in that person's life. Uh, sometimes something could happen very quickly after you begin praying, a few days, a few weeks, or maybe a little longer, a few months, and there's other times, of course, you may be praying for years and years. But always as you are praying, you're watching. And not only for what uh, God might be doing in that person's heart, but you're watching for the opportunities that he might give you or provide you to be a witness to that person. 
uh, the natural, non-threatening openings uh, to bring God into the conversation uh, with them. Now, obviously, you have to be purposefully and intentionally thinking about bringing God into conversations. Otherwise, when those opportunities come by, it's easy to let them slip past without taking advantage of them. And so we, we think about it, and it might feel a little awkward as you first start doing it, but, but as you do it, uh, you'll find it's very natural and comfortable um, and, and that it is well-received by the vast majority of people. Uh, again, uh, we emphasized last week, most of these opportunities to witness are going to be simple, one-line type statements as opposed to, you know, uh, full-on gospel presentations, you got to get saved right now type of thing uh, with the people. You're just planting a seed. That's what God's called us to do is is go plant those seeds. So let me give you an example of what that means as we move into uh, our new material for this week. Uh, Let's say that you have been praying that five-second prayer for a casual friend, a casual acquaintance of yours that you run into quite often when you're working out, because I know all of you spend hours in the gym every week working out. And and so uh, one day the two of you are slogging uh, around together on ellipticals, you know, side by side, uh, and and just making occasional small talk there, when suddenly the person kind of turns and looks at you and says, well, you never seem to get too worried about things. Ah. Now, because you have been praying and watching, you immediately identify that as an opportunity to bring God into the conversation, your faith in him. But instead of trying to lay out the entire doctrine of the sovereignty of God and and followed up by a three-point lecture on sin, grace, and salvation, what you decide to do is simply say something like, well, I used to be a real worrier, but... Jesus has made all the difference for me. That's it. That's that's all you have to do. And you know what you've done then? You were a witness. You tossed out a seed. You planted a seed. And that was easy, right? That's something that every single one of us uh, can do. Uh, Those simple, uh, single-line statements uh, are a great way to witness to what God has done or is doing in your life. Our uh, adult small groups, which you know we call the BLTs, they're doing a study called Outflows right now. And it focuses on uh, a lot of the same uh, ideas and compact, uh, concepts that we've been exploring here in these sermon series. And last week in our study, we came across my favorite saying from the book. After talking about the parable of the sower, you know, who's casting out seed on different types of soil, hard packed, rocky, uh, weedy, uh, and and good soil as well, uh, what the author said is that we are all called to be seed flingers. I like that, seed flingers. In fact, they said indiscriminate seed flingers because it almost sounds like he's calling you a name, doesn't it? You seed flinger you, but it's a good thing uh, uh, because uh, we're, we're bringing God into the conversation every time that we are able to throw out a seed like that. And and that's just one of the things we're called to. So now you have planted a seed right in the middle of your workout, right? He said that on the elliptical, right in the middle of the workout you said that. And after doing that, whose job is it to do something with that seed? It's God's job, right? Not yours. So how much pressure is on you in terms of how they respond to that? None. 
None. It's the Holy Spirit's work to do. So then the next question becomes, well, how can we tell if the Holy Spirit is working and we might need to say something more? Well, I, I think it's usually pretty easy to tell that based on their response, right? If you say that about Jesus changing your life and they kind of grunt and turn away, that's usually a pretty good indication that their heart is not ready for anything more. And that'd be a great opportunity then to stop and silently pray that five-second prayer for that person so that God do the work in his heart. Because here's the deal. If you try to press the issue and force the conversation to keep going, it most likely is uh, not going to turn out well. And it's going to get real uncomfortable for you and the other person very quick. Any of you ever tried to force that type of conversation? It just doesn't work well. You're trying to do the Holy Spirit's job, and we as humans are notoriously bad at being the Holy Spirit. However, if they respond in such a way that gives you another natural, non-threatening opening, well, then you can probably safely respond that the Spirit is working in answer to your prayers. And, and, and that natural opening could be either a positive thing, you know, they could make a statement and say, well, really? Uh, tell me about that. Well, well, that's pretty easy then, positive statement. But it could also come from a negative statement. Just because they make a negative statement doesn't mean that person uh, does not uh, want you to, continu to continue the conversation. So again, just by way of example, let's say you said what you did about Jesus changing your life about worrying there, and uh, they come back to you with the statement, well, I don't believe in God. Okay, that's, that's a negative statement. A and some Christians might take that as an invitation to shut up. Uh, I don't want to say anything more. But actually, that might still be an opportunity that is being presented to you. There's a, a recent survey, 2,000 unchurched people, people that just don't bother going to church. Uh, uh, Lifeway, uh, these were Americans, Lifeway Research and the Billy Graham Center for Evangelism. And it indicated that most people here in the United States are really wide open for those first steps or approaches of evangelism. Uh, they had uh, one question they asked, and 79% of these unchurched Americans agreed with this particular statement that said, if a friend of mine really values their faith, I don't mind them talking about it. 79% people said that that was true. Now, obviously, one of the key words in that statement is the word friend. It's somebody that you had a relationship with. And even just a casual friendship, uh, most people are willing to hear about this. But sometimes they may come at you with a negative statement, such as, I don't believe in God. So now, you're on the elliptical, you're still doing the middle of your work out here, you've got a couple of options on how you might respond to your friend there on the other elliptical. You could draw upon your vast storehouse of knowledge on the arguments for the existence of God, hitting him or her with the ontological argument, the philosophical, theological argument, the design argument, not to mention the efficient causality, the contingency, and the argument from consciousness. Man, you got it all laid out, what you're going to do to prove the existence of God to them. And at the same time, in another part of your brain, you are sort, uh, sorting and filing all the apologetic information you've got so that you'll know how to 
to rebut any question that they might have or argument they might pose for you. You could do that. Or, and this is the tact or the path that I recommend, you could simply say, really? Why not? That's a lot easier, isn't it? Now you're asking a question and letting them talk. I really think that's part of what God had in mind when he inspired Colossians 4, 6, right? Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Yeah, there might be a place and time when a specific person you're talking with uh, would want to hear some of the logical arguments for the existence of God or something like that. But, you know, I, I can guarantee you that in the overwhelming vast majority of time, a person who says, I don't believe in God, is not looking for or needing intellectual arguments. So when you ask them that simple question, really? Why not? You're moving them from, you're moving the discussion from an intellectual pursuit to a heart-level interaction. You know, every Every person has a story. And there's a reason why they would make that kind of statement. And now, what you're doing is giving them permission to share. And the reality is, most people like that opportunity because they want to be heard. They, uh, they want to feel like someone cares about them and where they are. And when we listen when we when we listen to what they are saying in a non-judgmental non-condemning way we are communicating that we care about them now sometimes that's hard for us or i guess maybe i should just speak for myself you'll have to decide for yourself whether or not that's hard for me because i immediately want to correct all of their misguided beliefs and false assumptions. But again, that's the Holy Spirit's job, not mine. And, and please understand, that doesn't mean that the Spirit might not use me or you sometime to, to work in that process. But understanding that it, when he wants us to do that, that's part of knowing how to respond, right? And maybe you ask, well, then how do I know? I mean, I, I don't want to mess it up. How do I know? if I should say anything more or not. Well, the, the authors of, of our Altflows Bible study uh, gave what I consider to be very good advice on this particular issue. They said this, quote, people who are asking questions are much more open to answers than people who simply have answers forced upon them, whether they care or not. So how do you know if the Holy Spirit's been at work in their heart and, and, and plowing up the soil, preparing it for more uh, planting, well, usually the best indication is a question from that person you're talking to. If they don't ask questions, most likely they're not really interested. And, and, and you could try to open it up a little more. You could ask, like, uh, well, would you like to hear you know, what God's done for me or, or what I believe or that type of thing. But uh, I still say the best is to wait for questions, wait for them to ask. 
Now, obviously, there's a couple different ways a person can ask a question, right? They can ask in that challenging, argumentative way. They're simply trying to bait you into an argument, a verbal fight. And in those cases, I believe it's really best to just graciously change the subject and avoid an unproductive argument. But they could also ask a question in an inquisitive, wanting-to-learn type manner. And that's when you know. That's when you know the Holy Spirit's at work. And and because they ask you, now you have complete freedom to share your own thoughts and experiences. You're not being pushy. They asked you. You don't have to worry about offending. They asked you. And, And the great thing about it is, if we're flinging out seeds taking those opportunities to, you know, be a natural witness, and and then all the while showing God's love and grace and kindness in our lives, chances are really good that someone is going to ask a question that opens the door for you. You're going to get those opportunities because that's what God wants to do in our lives. And I think that's where verse 5 comes into play, where he says, conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity." See, when a question is asked and the door is pushed wide open, we need to make the most of that opportunity. And unfortunately, this is quite often where our fears come in. And instead of making the most, we let the opportunity slip away. Or at least I know that's what's been true for me so often. I I, I get scared. You know, what if they don't like what I say? What if I offend them? What if uh, this? What if I mess it up and don't say the right thing? And, And Satan can bring all kinds of those what if questions to our minds, right? Enough of those what-ifs that we get to pondering them and and hesitate long enough that then we end up missing the opportunity. So how do we overcome that? Well, first of all, we pray again. I mean, prayer is an important and powerful part of this whole thing. As I said last week, it's the foundation of of any of this activity. In Acts chapter 4, the apostles prayed, And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. See, that's a a prayer for boldness. And by the way, just in case any of you are wondering, the Greek word there for bondservants is in fact doulos, slave, but that's another series of sermons, so we won't go there. The apostles, if the apostles needed to pray for boldness, Well, I think it's okay if we have to pray for that as well. And and I would suggest that you don't wait for a situation to come up before you start praying for that. Make that a regular prayer in your heart and your life now. Pray for that boldness that God wants you to have. And then along with prayer, there's one more thing we need to do. 1 Peter 3.15 tells us, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts always being ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Okay, I want to make quick, uh, several quick observations about that uh, verse. But first, the main point. What's the main point of the verse? Be ready, right? Be prepared beforehand. But before I elaborate on that, a couple quick points. First, to sanctify the Lord in your heart means to set him apart as master. It's a way of saying that he is the most important, the top priority in your life. And really, you have to start there because otherwise you will never have the courage or the motivation to defend your faith, to plant seeds. The second 
Notice the people that you're talking to in that verse. Who does it say? To whoever asks you. Oh, it's almost like God knew that people asking questions would be the best ones to talk to, isn't it? He doesn't ever, you know, plan on us to pounce on unsuspecting victims. But he does want us to be ready to talk to those who are interested and show their interest by asking questions. Third, even though it uses the word defense, be ready to make a defense, uh, that can kind of sound like a combative word sometimes, but that is not the sense in, in which it is being used here at all. And just so we would understand that, not make the mistake that it was, he adds that command to do it with gentleness and reverence, meaning graciously and humbly. I mean, we should never come across as arrogant or condescending or holier than thou or any of that type of thing. Okay, so now to the main point, the main question, how can we be prepared? I mean, after all, uh, we don't know what questions they might ask. I mean, does this mean in order to be prepared that we have to study all possible scenarios and work out the answers to every, every possible question they could ask? I, I think that's what some Christians think the case is, and that's what makes them so scared about this whole idea uh, uh, of talking about Jesus. It makes them think, man, I can't do that, or I might mess it up, or I might forget something and not know uh, one of the questions they ask. But, but the good news is we don't have to know all the answers. Notice what that verse says. It says you're defending the hope that is in you. What you have to know and be ready to share is your story. What God has done in your life. Because that's the hope that's in you. And I'm, I'm not against, you know, gospel tracts, you know, like the four spiritual laws or peace with God or the Romans road or the gospel in six words or any of those things. In the, in the right setting and situation, those could be useful tools. But, you know, the most powerful weapon you have is not a tract. It's your own story. And guess what? You don't have to worry about messing up your own story because you know it pretty well. It happened to you. So you can tell those details. How did Jesus work in your life? How did you come to know him? How have you grown in your relationship with him? What difference has he made in your life? What are some areas where you still struggle that he's currently working on in you? I mean, if you can answer those questions, then you are prepared to give a defense for the hope that is in you. And, and, and if the person that you're talking with, you know, they ask some specific questions about some Bible doctrine or maybe some verse and you don't know the answer to it, guess what the best way to respond to them is? I don't know. But that's a good question. Would you, would, would you like me to try to find an answer to that? I, I, I will if you'd like. That's a really good way to respond. And guess what? They're going to respect that response because it doesn't come across as arrogant. It comes across as real and authentic. And it's okay not to have every answer. So if you are prepared to share your story, then you already know how to answer when someone asks you about your faith. So now, you can be a seed flinger with confidence. Because when that open door presents itself, 
you know what to say. It's just your story and what Jesus has done and is doing for you. So our challenge last week was to get a few people that you're specifically praying for. That five-second prayer. God drawing them to you. Now your challenge this week is to take a few minutes so that you're prepared. Think through those questions. How did Jesus work in your life? How did you come to know him? How have you grown in your relationship with him? What difference has he made in your life? If you just take a few minutes to think through that, you're ready when that person in the other elliptical says, tell me what makes you different. Let's pray. Father God, again, I, I just fear we've made so much of this way more complicated than it needs to be. God, you are the one who does the hard work in the heart of people. And all we have to do is be willing to say what you've done for us. It's not about answering every question in the Bible or every argument that might be raised. It's about sharing the reality that we've experienced your love, your forgiveness, your grace. So God, give us boldness and courage to be able to do that. We pray this in Jesus' name.